going to do something a little bit different tonight. We're going to uh, look at several scriptures, and uh, but we're not going to read a text necessarily. So I'm going to go ahead and give you my title, and I, I'm going to kind of let the English uh, enthusiast in me out for just a moment here, and you'll have to pardon me, but my title is, is a long one, Conjunctions. Everyone said, praise the Lord. (laughs) Conjunctions that change everything. Conjunctions that change everything. Now, uh, don't check out too quickly here, but I'm going to give us a a quick definition of a conjunction. I'll take you back to English class for just a moment. Uh, I wasn't very good at math in school. I really struggled with math, but I loved English. And a conjunction has... Three meanings in the English dictionary, the third one having to do specifically with the English language, a word used to connect clauses. For example, you might say, um, that looks good, but, right? But I don't like it. It's never good if, uh, if you, someone says to you, I like you, but, right? That's a conjunction. It's signifying a clause, and it means that something important is about to follow that connects two thoughts together. And, uh, you know, uh, one time uh, someone said, uh, I like your preaching, but, and I knew that something was coming. How many have ever, how many have ever experienced a conjunction that stung a little bit? Uh, you know, uh, sometimes uh, my kids will uh, say, well, uh, I, I, I want to go to church, but I'm tired, right? Connecting things. But also the the word conjunction uh, is the action or an instance of two or more events or things occurring at the same point in time or space. So two things that are happening simultaneously. And in the realm of astrology and astronomy, they say this. They say an alignment of two planets or other celestial objects so that they appear to be in the same or nearly the same place in the sky. And so tonight I'm talking about conjunctions. Everyone said conjunctions that change everything from the Word of God. And I believe that all of these um, definitions apply to the Scriptures that we're going to read. Not only are they specifically words that bring two thoughts together, but there are things that align things in the spirit realm. Uh, We've been talking for a long time about the subject you can't have one without the other uh, and things that are connected in the spirit realm. And there are things, uh, the way God sets up the spirit realm is that things happen in concurrence. They happen simultaneously, and you have to understand how that works. So let me take you in the word of the Lord to Genesis chapter 6. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Genesis chapter 6 and verse number 3, a familiar portion of Scripture regarding Noah. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh. Yet his days shall be 120 years. There were giants in the earth in those days. And also after that, when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and they bare children to them, the same became mighty men, which were of old men of renown. And these were exceedingly wicked men. 
uh, evil uh, was uh, pervasive in the world in the days of Noah. And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And they acted on their wicked imaginations. Doesn't that sound a little bit like the culture that we live in today? Uh, people are acting on every wicked imagination that they can think of. And the problem with the culture that we live in today is that we call evil good and we call good evil. And so people redefine morality to where uh, someone might say, well, I'm living a sinful lifestyle, but they don't call it a sinful lifestyle anymore. They call it the new morality. But my God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. God is the source. He is the definer of morality. He is the law giver. And so apart from God, you can't have morality. There's no such thing as a secondary morality apart from God. I'm thankful for the word of God tonight. Amen. We have got to preserve our reverence for the word of God. If we lose our reverence for the word of God, we will lose our sense of morality, just like the world has. In verse number six, when he saw all of those things happening in the days of Noah, and this, this scripture always weighs heavily upon me when I read it. The Bible says, now I want you to think about this. Don't casually read it. Think about it for a moment. It repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth. God was literally sorry that he had created humanity. And it grieved him at his heart. When he saw the wickedness of man, when he saw that, that it was always evil, everything that they were thinking about was evil, they were acting on the evil. It was a, it was a terrible world. And he looked at it and it grieved him that he had created humanity in the first place. What an amazing thing. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth. Did you know that God can do anything that he wants to do? God can do anything that he wants to do. And he looked at the world and he said, I'm going to destroy my own creation. I'm going to wipe it off the face face of the earth, I'm going to obliterate it. Both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, everything, everything that you see, everything that, that, that this world that we've come to know, God was going to destroy all of it. For it repented me that I have made them. But remember, conjunctions change everything. And in verse number eight, we see, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. One righteous person can change the world. Don't tell me that one righteous heart cannot make a difference in a dark, dark world. My friends, I know we're living in difficult times, and if we're not careful as Christians, we can get so focused on the negativity all around us that we lose sight of the fact that we have a tremendous opportunity to be a bright light in a dark world. There shall be light in the evening time. And the darker the world gets, the brighter your light will shine. 
There's something about, I, I, I was talking to a sailor one time, and he was telling me how uh, they were on a sailboat, and uh, one that he had made, and they were out on the, on the ocean, and a storm came up fast. If you've ever been out on the ocean in a, you know, a, 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 you know, a fairly small vessel, uh, you'll know that it's, it's scary. When a storm comes up out of nowhere and those waves, and it's easy to lose sight of where you are. And, and he was recounting to me how a storm came up suddenly and it got dark at about 5 o'clock in the evening. It was just pitch black. And he said, I'll never forget when I saw the bright light coming from the lighthouse in the distance. He said, I always took the lighthouses for granted until it got dark and I needed to find my way. Listen, there are people that are looking to the light shining from your life. They need to see the light of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is no time to be fearful and to hide your light under a bushel like the old kid's song goes. Listen, you can touch people's lives simply by allowing God's light to shine through you in a dark world. Don't let the enemy convince you that it's lost that it's over, that the church can't make a difference. The church can make a difference. There are people right now, right now, there are people that are praying desperate prayers. They're crying themselves to sleep at night. They have no idea how they're going to cope with this world, and they're waiting on you and me to find them and show them the light of the gospel. But Noah found grace in the eyes of of the Lord. One little phrase, one little conjunction that tied these things together made all of the difference because one righteous man, one righteous man found grace in the eyes of the Lord. All right. Let me take you to Genesis 50 and verse 20. We'll stay in the Old Testament for a moment here. Uh, the story of Joseph and you're familiar with the story of Joseph, how it was his own brothers that sold him into slavery and uh, left him for dead. And he went through terrible dark times. He was imprisoned. Uh, he, was, uh, he was a servant. He was lied about. He was mistreated. Everything about Joseph's life uh, was difficult up until God fulfilled the promise in his life. He'd always had a dream. He'd always known that the hand of God was on his life. And he came into that place of power where he was the second in command of Egypt. God set all of that up. Isn't it amazing how God sets all of those things up? God can take you from your darkest moment and God can bring you to your greatest place of victory. In fact, in fact, God can use your darkest moment and that will become the catalyst for your victory. God can take your sickness and turn it into a powerful testimony. Uh, God, and in fact, I, I'm tempted to do it. I could stand here and tell you the darkest moments in my life. I remember laying in the hospital bed and being in so much pain at six years old that I prayed that God would take my life at six years old. I remember that like it was yesterday. I remember being seven years old and going through all of the fear that my heart uh, might not work again and that I might have to undergo another series of surgeries. 
And I remember telling the Lord at seven years old, Lord, I would rather you take me than me have to go through all of that all over again. But I can stand here today and tell you that that dark moment in my life is my greatest testimony because God has healed my body over and over and over and over and over again. And I don't deserve to be standing here tonight. But by the grace of God that I'm able to even preach to you tonight because God can turn your trial into a testimony. If you believe that, clap your hands to the Lord. Now I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. I know when you're in the middle of the trial, it's hard to think about the testimony. I know that when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death, it's hard to remember that his rod and staff is there to comfort you and not to hurt you. I know, I know, I'm human just like you are. But listen to what Joseph said. When all of that had transpired and God had finally put him where he intended him to be all the time so that he could save much people alive. Sometimes we go through difficulty so that we can touch other people's lives. Sometimes God allows us to suffer so that we can be a blessing to someone else. Sometimes God allows us to suffer so that we can have a tender heart towards other people's suffering. You know, you, one of the worst things you can do when someone is going through a difficult time is tell them, I know what you're going through. Especially if you don't know what they're going through. But when you have suffered and when you have walked through the valley of the shadow of death, when you've gone through the injustice and the indignity like Joseph went through. You can look back over your life and you can look with tenderness on people who do not deserve tenderness. You can understand what people are feeling that other people simply cannot understand. And so sometimes God is like the potter and he's crafting us into something beautiful. But the process is difficult. The process is difficult. But when all of that was over, Joseph was able to look at the brothers who sold him and wanted to murder him in the first place, his own half-brothers. And he looked, he said, but as for you, ye thought evil against me. But, see, conjunctions can change everything. But God meant it unto good to bring to pass as it is this day, to save much people alive. I don't know what somebody here might be going through tonight, but can I tell you that God still works all things together for good to those that love and trust Him? Will you promise me that you'll cling to that promise tonight? When when you feel like giving up, will you promise me that when you're in the middle of the night and you don't know what to do and you don't know who to turn to, that you'll turn to Jesus in prayer? Will you promise me that when it hurts and it's hard to breathe, that you'll cry out to Jesus in the midst of your pain? Because I promise you, God is going to turn your mourning into dancing. God is going to turn your sorrow into joy. God is going to take these ashes and turn them into something beautiful. That's how God works. Someone said amen. That's how God works. Conjunctions change everything. Let's look at Psalm 73 
and verse number 26. Psalm 73 and verse number 26. This is a psalm of Asaph. Everyone said Asaph. Asaph wrote more of the Bible than Peter, James, Jude, Jonah, Amos, Micah, Joel, Malachi, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Nahum, Haggai, or Obadiah. Try saying all of those very quickly. But Asaph did. A lot of people don't even know who Asaph is. But he wrote a good portion of the book of Psalms. And uh, I want to talk about him for a moment here. But I'd like to read this key scripture from chapter 73. Asaph said, My flesh and my heart faileth. That's the negative. But God is the strength of my heart. And then he gives another conjunction. And my portion forever. Someone said forever. Now, this is the same psalm where uh, he said, My foot well nigh slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked until he went into the house of the Lord. And then he was reminded of the greatness of God. I love this particular psalm. I've read it thousands of times. But recently, uh, and I'll just be honest with you, I'm a little embarrassed to admit it. I think I had just always assumed that this was a psalm of David. We do that, don't we? We just assume that all the psalms are a psalm of David, but they're not. Uh, and Asaph was someone that I had never studied before. I was asking someone about it today, and they didn't even know who Asaph was. And, uh, and I, I began to dig into the life of Asaph. He was about 100 years old or so when he wrote this particular verse that we're reading tonight. And, uh, but Asaph was a young Levite who caught the attention of King David because he was so skilled as a musician, as a psalmist, as a singer, as a worshiper. And he caught, and of course, uh, David was all of those things. And so David was immediately drawn to the anointing that Asaph had as a leader in worship. And so he, typically the Levites uh, would not live in Jerusalem, but David invited Asaph to come and be his head musician and uh, his worship leader in Jerusalem. And Asaph served David all of his reign and and he was close to David and he was a leader and he was influential in the kingdom. And he watched, uh, in fact, Asaph was the one who led the people in worship when they carried the Ark of the Covenant from captivity back into Jerusalem. It was Asaph who was leading the worship when, when David danced foolishly, so to speak, before the Lord. It was Asaph who was the leader in all of those powerful, dynamic moments of worship. And that was, uh, that was powerful times in Israel. Uh, David uh, was a great king until the latter portion of his life. 
But Asaph was there when Israel was going strong, when David was, was a man after God's own heart, and before his failures, and before uh, the resulting failures of his family that came because of his failures. Uh, Asaph was there, and no doubt uh, he thought that things were going to get better and better and better. When, when he saw them carry the Ark of the Covenant back into Jerusalem and he saw the miracle working of power of God, his faith soared within him. And he must have thought, this is a sign of the greatness of this kingdom that is to come. And he saw the prophecies that the Messiah would come from David's lineage. And this must have been exciting for him to be a part of a kingdom that was on the move, a kingdom that was healthy, a kingdom that was on the rise. And, but he lived through all of those good times and he came to difficult moments. He watched as David committed adultery and had the woman's husband murdered on the battlefield. He watched as David's son split the kingdom in two. And he watched as treachery came across the nation. He watched the pain and heartache of David's life. And then, even after all of that, finally, David repented and tried to make amends and tried to bring his kingdom back together. And even through all of that, they saw a glimmer of hope when Solomon came into his own. And David predicted that Solomon would be a great ruler, in fact. If you read, go back and look at it. It looks as if David had hoped not only that Solomon would build the temple, which of course he did, but there's some evidence that suggests that David had hoped that Solomon might not only build the temple, but that Solomon might actually be the Messiah. Asaph invested his hopes, his allegiance, his dreams for the future. Now he's an elderly man and he's looking at young Solomon and he must have been excited when he watched as Solomon spoke to God and was given wisdom beyond our ability to understand. God blessed him with wisdom, but not only wisdom, but he blessed Solomon with riches and opulence. And indeed, Solomon built a splendid temple unto God. It was a sanctuary that people came from all around the world. Think about that. People came from around the world so that they could see the beauty of God's temple. All of this was Solomon. And Asaph's heart soared with joy as he saw hope being restored in Solomon. But Solomon was not the Messiah. Solomon was not the one that God had told them to place their trust in. And Solomon, like all men do, let him and everybody else down. He gave himself over to idolatry. He gave himself over to lasciviousness. He gave himself over to greed, which resulted in harsh taxation upon God's people. Solomon went 
from being one of the finest rulers that Israel would have ever known into being one of the most difficult men on the pages of your Bible. He leaned more towards worldly philosophy than he did godly things. Listen, let me pause and tell somebody, especially someone in my generation, you need to be very careful about the wisdom of this world. There is a difference between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of the things of God. Set your affections on things above and not on things below. Don't get all, I know there's a lot of brilliant men and I'm, I'm not telling you not to be intellectual, be as smart as you can be. But listen, you make sure that you put your faith and your trust in the word of God and not man-made pages pinned by somebody who has no reverence for sacred things. And Solomon became a philosopher rather than a worshiper. When you become a professional Christian philosopher rather than a professional Christian worshiper, my friend, your kingdom is going to come crumbling down. We need a revival of Davids who, in spite of their failures, come into the house of God with praise and thanksgiving. I'm going to go ahead and get excited for a moment here. We need to dance in the spirit more often. We need to shout unto God more often. We need to run the aisles more often. We need to come with our voices lifted more often. We need to have a move of God and it will not happen by simply having a philosophy or by simply reading a few words it's going to be somebody who has a heart of praise it's going to be somebody who knows how to lift up the name of the Lord God hallelujah Solomon lost sight of what his dad understood in spite of all of David's failings and make no mistake about it we preach a lot about David Uh, We do a lot of lifting David up, and he was a great man in his own way. But in spite of all of the great things about David, think about it. He had some atrocious failures. Terrible. But in spite of all of that, the reason that he was able to remain in covenant and in relationship with God There's a word you need to study sometime in your private devotion. Study that word covenant. It's very important. This world has lost sight of what it means to have a covenant of marriage. This world has lost sight of what it means to have a covenant with the church. I'm not faithful to the house of God so I can get some notches on my lapel and get points in heaven. I'm faithful to the house of God because I have a covenant with the church. And I have a covenant with the blood of the Lamb. And I have a covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ. And when the blood, he tashan was applied to my life I went into covenant with the kingdom of God and I'm going to tell you the gates of hell shall prevail against lone ranger Christians but the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church of the living God you were not given that promise it was the church of the living God that was given that precious promise and so I am in covenant with my wife I'm in covenant with you as the church and I'm in covenant with the Lord Jesus Christ Christ. David was able to remain in covenant with God because he had a heart of forgiveness, he had a heart of repentance, and he had a heart of worship. Yes, he did. And Asaph saw as Solomon's life spiraled down and down and down. 
And by then, he's in his 90s, his 80s, his 90s, moving in very near being 100. And if you read the Psalms, read Psalm 72, 73, 74, 75. All of those are the Psalms of Asaph. And you'll see passages when he says, My flesh and my heart fail it. It's because he was looking at the kingdom of Israel being split in two. He watched as Solomon allowed pagan worship to infiltrate the kingdom of the one true God. He watched as people followed their king's example and gave themselves to idolatry. He watched as terrible taxation came upon the people, burdens that they could not bear because of Solomon's greed and his thirst for power and prestige. He watched as all of that spiraled down and Egypt came against the Israelites. And he was there when they demolished that beautiful temple. My flesh and my heart faileth. My foot well nigh slipped when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Anybody ever felt that way tonight? That's how he felt. He looked at all of these things. He realized that Solomon was not the Messiah. And when he finally began to receive the revelation of what God was going to do, let me say this too. It was Asaph's brother Zechariah that was murdered in the temple, a Levite priest. It was his family members, no doubt, that were murdered one by one by the Egyptians in the temple. He had good reason to have pain. Some of you have good reason to have pain tonight. Some of us look at the encroaching darkness all around us, and if we're not careful, we say, My flesh and my heart faileth. I don't know how I'm going to make it. I don't know how we're going to do it. How's the church going to survive in the last days? Our freedoms are being taken away. How? How are we going to be able to stand up for what's right in a world that doesn't want anything to do with righteousness? My flesh, my heart faileth. Until Asaph got the revelation that a conjunction can change everything. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion and my portion forever. You see, Asaph realized he saw the wealthy, he saw the wicked becoming increased with goods and it caused him to be frustrated. But he realized that really it was an Old Testament version of the song, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. See, when you realize that all of the wealth and all of the power and all of the riches and all of the stuff and all of the things of this world are not your portion. If you have Jesus, you have everything that you need, my friend. If you have Jesus, he is your all in all. If you have Jesus, he is the precious rose of Sharon. 
If you have Jesus, he is the lily of the valley. If you have Jesus, he is your Jehovah Jireh. If you have Jesus, he is your friend when all your friends turn their back on you. When you have Jesus, he is your healer. When you have Jesus, he is your deliverer. When you have Jesus, he is your conqueror. When you have Jesus, he will go before you into battle. He is your all in all. He is your alpha and omega. He is your beginning and your end. He is everything. Someone said everything. When Asaph realized that in spite of the darkness of the world around him, he found the hope in the midst of darkness. He saw the hope. Let me close with this because it was Asaph that finally recognized when he saw that Solomon was not going to be the Messiah. He made several prophecies concerning the coming Messiah. And how many know who the Messiah is tonight? The Lord Jesus Christ. And let me give you one final scripture that proves that conjunctions change everything. Romans 6.23. Let's stand and quote it together if we could in closing. If we read the first line alone, we would be without hope and lost. For the wages of sin is death. Let's read this last part together. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. My friend, you have everything you need tonight. And if you're not filled with the Holy Ghost, if you don't have the Spirit of the living God dwelling inside of you, it's here tonight. It's here tonight. Seek after it. Repent of your sins. He'll fill you with His Spirit. And He'll be your all in all. Do you believe that tonight? Do you believe that tonight? Let's lift up our hands and thank the Lord that He's everything to us. Lord, we love you, Jesus. I pray that you would encourage somebody tonight, God. I pray that you would lift up an Asaph, Lord, who thinks that all hope is gone. I pray that we would remember that you are our hope. You are our light, God. Hallelujah. You're still the light of the world, Lord. And this church is called to be a city that is set upon a hill. And I pray that we would burn ever brighter as the world grows ever darker. We love you. We praise you. We thank you for Calvary. We thank you for your blood. We thank you for your faithfulness. Could somebody clap your hands to the Lord if he's been faithful to you? Oh, go ahead and give him a little bit of worship and conclusion tonight. If he's ever blessed you, if he's ever healed your body, why don't you go ahead and shout with a voice of triumph? If he filled you with the Holy Ghost, why don't you go ahead and shout with a voice of triumph? If you can remember that feeling when you were buried in the waters of baptism, why don't you go ahead and let loose a praise tonight? Hallelujah. Let it be a testimony. Let your worship be a testimony for about 30 seconds tonight that he is good. He is good. He is good. He is great. He is great and greatly to be praised. Hallelujah, Lord. Hallelujah. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost sweeping in this place. Don't push it away. Don't stomp it down. Go ahead and allow the Holy Ghost to flow freely for a few moments. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that healing virtue would flow. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that depression would go. In the name of the Lord Jesus, I pray that you would minister to somebody tonight. In the name of the Lord Jesus, 
I pray that you would give somebody victory over besetting sin in the name of Jesus. I pray that you would give somebody victory over addiction tonight, God, in the name of the Lord Jesus. I pray that you would give somebody victory, Lord, over every attack of the devil. I rebuke that old foe in the name of the Lord Jesus. I bind Satan right now in the name of Jesus. Go ahead and rebuke the devil. You have authority in the name of Jesus. Somebody take authority tonight. Don't leave this church without taking authority in the spirit realm. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Touch our pastor right now in the name of Jesus. Give him a mighty anointing. Give our first lady a special touch of anointing. God, go with them, be with them, bring them back. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Look at your neighbor and say, he's my everything. He's my everything. Be careful what you're putting your trust in. I hope you're not putting your trust in men. Hope you're not putting your trust in money. Put your trust in Jesus. Put your trust in Jesus. God bless you. You're dismissed.